Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Let's take our Bibles today, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 23. Luke, chapter number 23, and we'll begin reading in verse number 33, and uh, we'll hold our place here and uh, look at another place as well, and uh, we've got a substantial amount to read, and so I'm not going to have you stand this morning as is our normal custom. Uh, but Luke chapter number 23, of course, this will be a very familiar passage of Scripture. And, uh, and, and, I, and I believe that this would be the will of the Lord for this morning, uh, putting our normal uh, series on hold for just, just a moment today to try to follow what I believe the Lord's will is. And uh, I want us to begin our reading and, uh, in, in verse 33. And when we come to verse 33, uh, we find ourselves at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 23, 33, the Bible says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they departed his raiments and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing that thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now I'm going to ask you to hold your place there and take your Bible with me to the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 13. What wonderful verses we've already read together. It's hard for me to read the account of the crucifixion of our Lord without, without being brought to tears. But I'm so thankful this morning that to know that that crucifixion was for each and every person in this building and each and every person in the world this morning. 
Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. The Bible says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. Notice this phrase, having forgiven you all trespasses. If you're thankful for that, say amen. amen. Verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let's bow for a word of prayer and I'll get into the message for this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as humbly and thankfully, dear God, as I know how. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to preach and thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to open a Bible and be able to read these verses and know that, Lord, this is more than just a fairy tale. This is more than a fiction book, but everything in that Bible is truly in the, in the, in the, in the utmost sense, nonfiction. Lord, it's true. It's right. And Lord God, it is reality for us today. Lord, to be able to read about what you've dealt with at the cross, Lord, is such a wonderful truth this morning. And I pray, dear God, that you would help me, Lord, as I try to rightly divide the scriptures. And Lord, as I try to present the message that you would have for me to present to your uh, Lord, to this waiting congregation. And Lord, to those that may be lost and to those that are saved. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to all of us this morning, God, as only you can. Please, dear God, help me. Lord, as I, as I tried to do something that I know I cannot do in my flesh, fill me with the Holy Ghost, remove flesh from the equation. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me the wonderful words of life. Please, God, get glory to yourself. Save the lost, touch the saved, deal with the backslider. God, I pray. And Father, for everything you do, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen, amen and amen. When we come to the two passages that we've looked at this morning, in Luke chapter number 23, we come to, uh, we come to what I would call the scene of the cross. We've read, and, and I know that the, the crucifixion account lasts for, really in, in, in its entirety, it lasts for several chapters, and uh, we just picked just a, just a small portion of them this morning. Uh, but when we come here, we come to the scene of the cross, we, we see the context, we see the, uh, the scenario, the, uh, event, the, the, the events and the people that surround this moment in, uh, in history. And we see the, the Son of God hanging upon the cross. We see the conversations that is had between him and the two malefactors, the, the two criminals that are on either side of him. And what we find Jesus doing is he is dying for them at the same time that he's dying for the entire world. And in his conversation, we find that they are going back and forth about Jesus being on the cross and the mockery of one of the criminals toward uh, Christ. And uh, the one asked the other, uh, he says... 
He says they are, uh, he says they are in, uh, let's see here, in verse 40, he says, Dost not thou not, Does not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. Apparently, even those criminals on either side of the Lord, it was obvious to him, uh, to them, that Jesus did not belong there for physical crimes as they did. He did not deserve to be hanging there as a criminal because he was a man that had not done nothing amiss. And can I say this this morning? We have a Savior who still to this very moment is, a, is the sinless Son of God. He did, not, he did not do anything wrong in his earthly life and ministry and he is still perfect and flawless without the capacity to sin. Amen. That's the Savior we have. They knew they'd belong there because of their deeds, but they knew that he did not belong there, being one that has done nothing amiss. Here in verse 42, we find uh, Jesus uh, says to uh, says to this one uh, malefactor, the, the malefactor said to Jesus, rather, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus turned and said to him those famous words, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Can I say that for this one thief, for this criminal, for this malefactor, Jesus made an unbelievable difference in eternity, altering difference in his life. He did not change his physical condition. He did not change his physical condemnation. He did not pull him off of the cross and save his physical life. But Jesus did something that is greater than that for this man. We see the scene of the cross in Luke 23. But then in Colossians chapter number uh, Colossians chapter number 2 we see not only the scene of the cross as the gospel there in Luke 23 but we have what I'm going to call the supply of the cross in Colossians chapter number 2. Because Colossians chapter number 2 tells us what happened as a result of the cross. For those that are saved the Bible says there in verse 13 and I'll read it again uh, just for sake of our uh, for our emphasis this morning. He says and you being dead in trespasses uh, you being dead, excuse me, in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened. That means he's made alive together. Everyone, he said, before uh, they were saved, before they belonged to Jesus, before they were a blood-bought Christian, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were dead in their sins and the uncircumcision of their flesh. They were not saved and they were dead in sins, but when we get saved, He makes us alive, he, eternally alive through Jesus Christ. Right, here's, how, here's how He does it, by forgiving us all trespasses. I'm telling you this morning, you're looking at a man who, in my 30 years of life, I have committed quite a few trespasses. And if I would, if, if, if we would be honest, I think as we look around the room, all of us could admit that as we look at one another, we're looking at individuals who have committed quite a few trespasses, probably a few more than we would want to let to be known this morning. So the idea that Christ has, through what he did at the cross, has let those that are saved here, Paul here in Colossians is writing to the saved in the city of Colossae. And to a 
church that was existing there. He's writing to believers and he's telling those that are saved that the reason why you have eternal life in Christ, the reason why you're not dead in sins anymore and have life through Christ is because he's forgiven you all your trespasses. I don't know about you, but with as many sins as I've committed in the years of my life, that, that three-letter word all means a lot to me. Yes, that through what he did on Calvary, all of my sins have been taken care of. I dealt with a man recently about his soul, and one of the things that he told me as I talked to him, he said, Preacher, he said, I feel like I've done, I, I've sinned too much. I've done too many bad things to be forgiven. He said, I, I've ha I have in my past, it's, it's too dark, and it's too wicked, and it's too vile for me to be forgiven. And I asked him the question, I said, Sir, what part of those, what, what percentage, what part of those sins were committed when Jesus died on the cross? I said, you weren't born yet. When he died for your sins, he didn't just die for the sins that you've committed up to this point. Every sin that I've committed in the past was future at Cal was future to Christ at Calvary. Every sin I will commit to the day that I die was in the future at Calvary. So therefore, I don't have to look at my past and say it's too dark and too gloomy for God to forgive because he's already forgiven them all. If I'll just trust him to do that, he forgave gave all trespasses. I'm thankful for that. Verse 14 says he's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The, the, the bill of our crimes, the, the writing out, the, 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 the detailing of our crimes against God. He's blotted those out, he says. Those things that were contrary to us. And he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. Do you see here in these two passages of Scripture, whether it be for this malefactor in particular in this Jewish economy, they are at the scene of the cross that said that Jesus looked to and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Or whether it be you and I uh, today that have trusted Christ as our Savior uh, and we have called upon the name of the Lord. And then in that moment he forgave our trespasses. Whether, whether it's the scene of the cross or the supply of the cross that we are dealing with, the fact remains that it is the cross that is the central, the central focus of the difference that has been made in our lives. So with the help of God this morning, I want to preach on that, on the simple thought of the old rugged cross made the difference. I'm thankful this morning that as an eight-year-old boy, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, as an eight-year-old boy, that the old rugged cross made the difference in my life. Even at the age of eight years old, I hadn't done much bad as what the world would say. I hadn't, I wasn't on my, I wasn't on my way to a juvenile detention center. I hadn't committed many crimes, amen, that the world would look at and say were crimes against government or crimes against nature, but even as an eight-year-old boy that was sin in my heart because of who I was and being a part of Adam's race, amen, and being a sinful man from the moment of birth, even as eight years old. I might not have committed crimes against the state of South Carolina or the city of Spartanburg in which in the, that I grew up in, but I had committed crimes against God. 
Do I trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior? The old rugged cross made the difference. If you're here this morning and you've got a changed life and you know it, if you're headed to heaven and you know it, it's because the old rugged cross made the difference. Let me give you two thoughts this morning about this old rugged cross making the difference and we'll be done. I realize that many may be here that may look at things like this or you may, you may know someone that we would read these verses and we would talk as we've already done this morning and many of them would say that all of these things are nothing more than religious rhetoric but I'm telling you this morning that everyone in here that is genuinely saved by the grace of God would report this morning that the difference in their life was made because of Calvary. First of all, let me say this. The old rugged cross made the difference because the cross dealt with our sin debt. It was on the cross that a sinless Savior died. It was on the cross where His sinlessness dealt with my sinfulness. To where, as, as Paul would write, that the, it was the just for the unjust. There was a divine transaction that took place at Calvary. I didn't hang there as the thief did in Luke 23, but in the mind of God, my sins, as according to the book of Colossians, were nailed to his cross. And yes, he dealt with the thief and his sinfulness, but even at Calvary, Jesus was dealing with me and all of my sinfulness, and you and all of your sinfulness. At Calvary, all that I've done wrong against God was placed on that cross and was placed on the Son of God. And the Bible says that he became sin for us. The cross dealt with our sin debt. Let me begin by simply making, uh, the, making a statement. Uh, look, look in your Bibles with me at Romans chapter number 5. These of course are very familiar verses but let me begin by before we, before we understand about how our sin debt was dealt with at the cross we must first understand that every human being has a debt of sin that we owe. Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That verse says that every man, woman, boy, or girl that's born into this world has a debt to God for sin. There is, a, there is a payment that must be paid for sin. The Bible says this in Romans chapter number 6, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the Bible says this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The, the bad news this morning is that if there is a man, there is sin. Because Romans 5 said that from the time that the first man, Adam, sinned against God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter number 3, that man fell in sin. And now because he is a man that has a sin nature now, there's a man that has fallen in sin. Now that sin nature is passed to every person that is born of a woman. Mankind 
is born in sin. That's what Psalm 51 says. Psalm 51 says that we were conceived in sin, that we were shapen in sin, that we were, David said that it was in sin that my mother conceived me. So therefore, we understand that every man that's born, if there is a, a human being, that human being has a sin nature. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that where there is sin, there is a payment for sin. I've said this before in preaching on this verse. You know, you, you know what wages are. If you have a job or if you've ever had a job on your paycheck, that, that dollar amount at the end of your paycheck that you get for the services that you rendered to your company, the services you rendered to your employer, if you, if you look at that, it will say wages. Every time I get, every time I get a, a, a tax form to do my taxes, that, that number of what I've made for the year on the tax document, it will say wages. It's a payment for what you yourself have earned. Where there is sin, there will be the wages of sin. Where there is sin, we earn, the Bible says, death. You say, how, uh, how uh, costly is my sin? It always renders out in death. There is, I believe the scripture teaches that because of sin we have physical death and because of sin we have a spiritual death. If, if you are left without, if, if you live your life without Christ, then when it comes to the end of your life, there will be a large bill for your sin of what you've earned. There will be wages that must be paid. And the only way that we as human beings can pay it is an eternal death in a place of destruction called hell. Here we find that Romans 5 says that all have sinned and therefore all have this, uh, this uh, sin debt. Amen. If you look at Romans chapter number 3, we understand it as well that there's none excluded in that. Verse 9 says, uh, what then are we better than they know in no wise? For uh, we have before proved both Jew, uh, Jews and Gentiles, they are all under sin. You don't only have sin within, but we are under sin. We are under the control of our sin nature. We are under the bondage of our sin nature. It is bearing down on us unless we get Christ in on the situation to deal with it. Do you remember those days before you came to Christ? The, the load and the, the weight of sin to where I hear this often that when folks get saved they say that it feels like a weight has come off of me. It's because we're under sin. You, uh, you cannot carry that load of sin for long. It will weigh down on you. He says this in verse 10, as it is written there is none righteous, no not one. We like to think that we're good people. In the eyes of the world we may be. But in the eyes of God, according to Romans 3, verse 10, there's not one of us that is a good person. 
We have no righteousness. There's none righteous. There's none good. He even, he even uses that terminology later on in this chapter. He says there in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, he says, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. You may say, preacher, I give to charity. The Bible says that's not even good. I, I, I give of my time to people. The Bible says there's none that doeth good. I attend church. I'm on, I'm on the membership role of the church. There's none that doeth good. Whatever you want to put in there, you can insert that. But the Bible is true. And we, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. That the Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. So therefore, we must understand that no matter how good we think we are, according to God and His Word, we, all the, the, that we don't have any righteousness and we are under sin and we have a great sin debt. The Bible says that we, we all have a sin debt. There's none excluded from that. But then number two, we see that the cross was the means of dealing with our sin debt. Look at Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says this, for all have sinned. There's that sin debt again. We've all sinned and we come short of the glory of God. We don't measure up. We have not earned a relationship with God. We have not earned a home in heaven. The best we can do is come short. Sin will never let us do any more than come short. But then in verse 24 he says, being justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. But what by, by what law or works? Nay, but by the law of faith. There Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Verse 25, when he uses the word propitiation, it's the same word used in 1 John chapter number 2. It, when the Bible says that God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, it means that the propitiation means satisfied through faith and through the blood of Christ and faith in what the blood of Christ on Calvary does God can be satisfied you owe a sin debt but what gets the debt satisfied and cleared and done away with what does that it's his blood that we have faith in the blood that was shed on the cross so the old rugged cross makes the difference when we, because it deals with our sin debt. We all have one, and it was taken care of on, on the cross. Look at Romans chapter 5 again. Look at verse number 6. Romans 5, 6 says this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Where did He die? He died on the cross. 
Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Where did this happen? It happened at the cross. The cross was the central place where God, where man was reconciled to God. Joe said it this way. He says, he says that there is a, he said that oh, that there were a daysman betwixt us, between him and the Lord. A daysman, a go-between, a mediator, someone that would bring God down, uh, uh, to, not necessarily down, but uh, to where Job was. And what Job was dealing with, Job said in his moment of trial, that I wish that there was somebody that would bring us together. Can I report to you this morning, that is exactly what happened at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an ungodly humanity, an ungodly mankind who could not reach up to God and could not reach God's hand because we had come so short and our sins had burdened us down to the point where we would never be able to reach up to God. But there was through Christ someone that was able by being both God and man in the flesh was able to take the hand of a thrice holy God and take the hand of a sinful humanity and bring us together. Thank God for that this morning that the cross, amen, was the means of dealing with our sin debt. Amen. Amen. And can I report to you this as well? Our sin debt did need to be dealt with. Colossians 2, our original text for this morning, Colossians 2, 13 says that we were dead in our sins. Dead's a bad place to be. Amen. Here he says that there were ordinances against us. There were crimes that was contrary to us. And the Bible said that God took it out of the way, nailing it to Christ's cross. And verse 15, he said at the cross, Christ spoiled principalities and powers. That that those, according to, to this verse in Ephesians 6, principalities and powers, though that terminology is always used to talk about the spiritual realm, the demons of hell. It's always used to talk about the working of Satan in this world. The Bible said that God, to, 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 to take the ordinances of our crimes against us, to nail it to his cross, he bankrupted the enemy's forces. He spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Do you realize that this world has a very great enemy? And I, hear, and, and, and I don't want to give the devil any credit, but I will say this. The enemy of God is very powerful. If you think that he's not, you've got problems. You haven't studied your Bible very much. 
And all the all these so-called Christians that are talking about wanting to, to take the that they're going to do things and they're they're, they're going to they're going to uh, eradicate the devil and they're going to face the devil head on and all of those things. You've lost your mind if you think that you can go toe to toe with the devil and win. The Bible says that we're to resist the devil. The Bible doesn't ever tell us to go chasing after the devil and try to go toe to toe with the devil and try to try to uh, to, to make excuses for uh, why uh, for for why uh, to try to uh, to try to, uh, to 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 tempt ourselves with sin and expect ourselves to win. That's going toe to toe with the devil. You know who can handle the devil? Jesus did. That's right. And by the way, he's the only one that's going to do so perfectly. You'll wreck your life trying to, trying to gamble with sin. Here the Bible says that this is what Jesus did at the cross. That the, the enemy of mankind, the devil, and all of his, uh, all of his uh, forces, they were, according to this verse, they were there that day. We have no idea, Brother Charlie, no idea the spiritual warfare taking place at the cross. The Bible says this, that if the devil would have known what was truly known, what was taking place at Calvary, that he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. The devil in his mind thought the cross was a done deal and it was the end of Jesus. He thought he had won. But the Bible says here that it was Jesus who had triumphed over the devil and his forces. And the Bible says this, that he made a show of them openly. He mocked them. This is what they thought they had won. But the, Jesus showed them how they had lost. He made a mockery of them openly in the eyes of those that looked on and the eyes that would look through the pages of Scripture. They would say, oh, devil, you thought you won. But we had another thing coming. The resurrection, the, the, the death at the cross, the devil thought he had won. But in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it gave the devil a curveball that he never expected. If God is combating spiritual forces at the cross, if, if I read this quote yesterday, I had saved it many months ago, but I, I just saw it again yesterday. I don't remember who it was. I think it might have been Charles Spurgeon, or at least he gets credit for every good quote that's out there. Amen. <laughs> My pastor said that if Charles Spurgeon said everything they said, he said he'd have to live two lifetimes and never stop talking. <laughs> But whoever it was made this statement. It said, imagine how important your soul is and how valuable your soul is if both the devil and God are after it. That's what this verse said took place at the cross. You best believe God was there, but you can also believe the devil was there. And there was a spiritual warfare taking place. And, and we see this in these, in these verses and that, that leads me to believe that because of all of these things that were against us, because of the sin debt that was against us, because the devil wanted our soul so badly and he almost had it and God through the cross dealt with sin, we must know how, how important it is, how, how wicked our sin is and how important it is for it to be dealt with. 
Jesus and God were combating in a spiritual warfare to make sure that our sin debt could be taken care of. Romans chapter number 6 verse 23 again says that the wages of sin is death. Can I say our sin debt definitely needed to be taken care of. If the wages of my sin is death, then it needs to be dealt with because I don't want death. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to hell. I'm thankful because of what Jesus did. I was able to call on Him at eight years old. And now, from that moment to this, 22 years later, I don't ever have to, be wor I don't ever have to worry about going to hell. Why? Because He took care of it. He dealt with my sin on the cross. So we see that the cross dealt with our sin debt. But then secondly, let me hurry through this. We see that the cross affords us the opportunity to trust Him by faith. If you look there in our verse in Colossians chapter 2, again, I know, I know we're going all over the place. And, I, and I, 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 if you can't keep up, I'm sorry about that. But the Bible says there in verse 13, we were dead in trespasses and sins, and the uncircumcision of our flesh, He's quickened us together with Him, having forgiven you, He says, all trespasses. He nailed those ordinances to His cross, and He triumphed over principalities and powers there at the cross. You see, what He did at Calvary afforded us an opportunity to have our sins forgiven. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse number 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. John says in John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, uh, but that, uh, that, uh, th that through Him they might be saved. Amen. We understand according to the Bible that it is the cross, it is the death of Christ that is affording us the opportunity to know Him as Savior. Verse 18 of John 3 says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus came for you to be saved and for you to trust Christ. God says, let us reason together. I want to make you uh, make your uh, sins white as snow. And then the Bible says that Jesus came into the world so that you could believe. And through that belief, have condemnation removed. You say, preacher, what does it take for me to be condemned to an eternity in hell? For you, what does it take for you to do to have an eternity in hell and to be uh, condemned? Just do nothing. You don't have to do anything to be condemned. The Bible says, as I quoted earlier, Psalm 51, we're conceived in sin. Jesus says here to Nicodemus that we are condemned already. And what, what, why are we condemned already? Because we've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Our birth in this world adds that condemnation to us. We're sinners from the moment of our birth, really from the moment of our conception. 
So therefore it is our belief, it is our trust, it is our reliance in Christ, it is us replacing our faith in, in, him, in him alone, which as far as I'm concerned is the truest definition of repentance there is. It's not necessary. No, repentance is not you trying in your mind to remember every sin that you've ever committed and trying to turn from those. You'll never be able to do that. I can't remember every sin I ever committed. So therefore, if I can't remember, I don't have a hope of heaven. That's right. <laughs> repentance is this simple. It is a change of heart. That is a change of mind that produces a change in heart. Literally, it is a, a turning. When I turn to Christ for my salvation, what I'm doing by turning to Christ and Christ alone is I'm turning away from everything that's not Jesus. When I trust Christ as Savior and I'm turning to Him and I say I'm going to place my faith in Him and I'm trusting what He did at Calvary and I'm trusting in His blood and I'm trusting, I'm trusting in what happened there at the cross. When I do that, I'm turning my back on good works. I'm turning my back on turning over a new leaf. I'm turning my back on my church membership and hoping that gets me in. I'm turning my back on my baptism and hoping that gets me in. I'm turning my back on my pedigree and my family line and hoping mom and dad's good enough to get me in and they've done enough good things. I'm turning my back on the idea that maybe my good will outweigh my bad in the end. No, I'm trusting him and him alone and I turn to him and it's either Jesus or nothing else. Amen. If you're going to truly be saved. If it's Jesus plus anything, you'll never go to heaven. Yeah. It's got to be Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is not going to share his glory with any man. He's not going to he, he, he's not going to let you trust in religion and Christ or works and Christ. Amen. Here the Bible says that it is that belief that allows us to come to him in salvation. Romans 10 says that it is literally as simple as calling upon the name of the Lord. Believing that Jesus died and rose again. And I love verse 13, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to know who the candidates for salvation are, you can just, you can just mark it down, whosoever. And I don't care what the Calvinists believe, whosoever means whosoever. That's right. Whoso, I, heard, I, heard, I heard a little girl, I heard of a story of a little girl one time that was, was, was uh, looking there at that verse and it was uh, something to the effect of uh, they were, uh, somebody asked her what the definition of whosoever was and in her child's mind she says that means me, you, and everybody else. That was, a, that was, might have been a child's mind and a child's answer, but that was a profound answer. Right. Whosoever, me, you, and everybody else, that's what whosoever is. Right. That's who is a candidate for the love of God through it. The love of God, God loves every man, woman, boy, or girl. The Bible says, Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God likes that all business. God likes the whoso, that whosoever business. Amen. Right. If, you, if you realize this morning you're not saying saved and you want to be saved, you can be saved because God wants you to be saved. Amen. Right. Dr. Stan Wardlaw, one of my mentors, said that the biblical definition of election is not like the Calvinists teach that some are going to be saved and uh, some are aren't and God chose some to go to hell and some to go to heaven. Dr. Wardlaw said this, he said an election is when we vote for things, when we cast votes for things. He said biblical election is God voted for me, the devil voted against me, and I get to cast the deciding vote. Amen. And two, two, amen, two against one, we 
win if I side with God. Amen. And so God wants me to be saved if I trust Him as Savior and I want to be saved. Guess what? I'm going to be saved no matter if the devil wants me to go to hell or not. Amen. So we see here that it was the cross that made the difference. Romans 5.25 Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered, delivered to the cross for our offenses of the crimes that we committed against God and He was raised again for our justification. Can I say this this morning as I close? I'm so thankful today that Jesus did not get off the cross. That He did not choose to, to come down. And if you study the accounts of the, the crucifixion, you look at Matthew 27 especially, you look at Mark chapter number 15, the, one of the things that the crowd said was for Him to come down from the cross. Prove yourself to us. Prove that you're the Son of God by coming down from the cross. And if you do, we'll believe that you are who you say you are. I'm thankful this morning that He didn't come off of the cross. Because if He had come off the cross, all of these things about the cross, the old rugged cross making the difference, I would not be able to preach to you this morning. He stayed on the cross. He died on the cross. Do you realize the, the moment, according to John chapter 19, when Jesus did in fact come off the, cro come, come off the cross, it was in John 19's account, when, they, when, they, when they're beginning the process of pulling Jesus off the cross, you're just a couple of verses down from where Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus didn't come off the cross voluntarily. He died and they pulled Him off the cross. But before they did, He had finished what God sent Him here to do. Again, I remind you, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If He finished His purpose like He said He did, then He had accomplished what was necessary to save those who were lost. If you're here this morning, you've never, you've never trusted Christ. The difference can be made at Calvary. What Jesus did at the cross can make an eternal difference for your life. And so many of us in this building could give a good hearty amen that the old rugged cross made the difference for us. Jesus finished His work. Jesus made the way. Him dying on the cross gives us the opportunity to trust Christ. And you can do it today. Your sins have been paid for. The sin debt is high. But thank God, through Christ, you can accept the payment that Jesus paid to remove your sin debt, to remove your condemnation, and begin to allow you to have a walk with Christ and a freedom through His blood. Amen. Every head. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.